0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Christianity may not be what you think it is. Even if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it, it, it may be that your perception of what's going on as a Christian and in the Christian life is not really what the Bible presents it to be. Because if you're, your view of Christianity is that, okay, you say my religion is Christianity and that means I have certain basic beliefs that I hold to and certain mm-hmm. practices that I, I you know, follow and maybe you know, some key things that I don't do, And while those things are true, that's not really what Christianity is about. That isn't what's at the core of Christianity and what makes it Christianity. And so you might say, well, okay, let me elaborate on that. And you go through some things, but what we wanna see today is that what is really at the core of Christianity, what empowers it, what makes it different, what makes it eternally significant, Peter brings that up in his first letter. So let's go there. First Peter, chapter three. We're going to be on page 1393 in the, the Bible that's in the chairs there. And if, if you don't have a Bible with you, we really, really encourage you to uh, pick up that Bible there in front of you and follow along. Page 1393 starting in verse number 18. 1 Peter 3:18 says, "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah." while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There's also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Therefore, Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, and by Gentiles he means those who don't know the Lord, when we walked in lewdness in the spirit. Now, let me say to you that this is um, one of those passages of scripture that sometimes as a preacher you go, hmm, I think I'll skip over this one. Because there's just a lot of stuff there to try to explain. Uh, and you, when you go studying uh, to what the word means, you get commentaries, right? And those are people who commented on the Bible and say what they think it means and why they think it means it. Very often, you'll I, I get some of these hard verses, and I go and I look in the commentary, and guess what they do? They skip it. <laughs> that ain't right. <laughs> but. So there may be some things here today before we're done. We say, okay, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what that means. That's okay, right? It's always okay. Uh, because there's plenty here that we know exactly what it means. And those are the things we need to wrestle with. And it's, it's here that Peter's dealing with what's really at the core of Christianity, Okay, so let's let's go back and work our way through this in in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit. All right. So first thing here is good news that we can be saved. That is good news. Okay, we can be saved. Go ahead. Put that up there if you would. Jesus died for our sins and rose again. That's what it says here, right? So let's look at it carefully. This is the gospel. When we talk about the gospel, it's what makes all the rest of this possible. Christ also suffered once for sins. This is when he died on the cross. You know, we read in the scripture, and that's what we, Good Friday's about, you know, go heading to Easter. He dies on the cross. And he didn't die as an example, okay? And he didn't die like a martyr's death. It wasn't like that. No. Why did he die? He died the just for the unjust. Well, what does that mean? Well, just comes from that word justice. It can mean right or righteousness. And so it's saying here that Jesus is the one who was holy and righteous, died for those who were not holy and who were not righteous. And who might that be? Honest. Who is that? It's me, that's right, it's you. It's all of us. It's every human being that's ever lived besides Jesus. So when he dies on the cross, he's, he's hanging there, and, and the Bible tells us that the Lord laid on him, God the Father laid on him the iniquity, the sins of us all, and he dies there, paying in full the penalty for all of those sins. And, and that's good news, but it doesn't end there. Why did he do this? That he might bring us to God? Because our sins prevent us from coming to God. Our sinfulness have, you know, a, a wall between us and God. It's it's a it's proof that we are dead spiritually. We're born with that kind of a nature and we live in opposition to God. Even if we believe in him, give him head knowledge or serve him in a way that makes sense to us, we are still dead to God. We are separated from him by our sins. And so him dying and paying that penalty that you and I could never pay, it doesn't matter how much good things you do, you cannot change the fact that you have sinned against the holy God. You can do lots of religious stuff. But it doesn't change the fact that you've sinned against the holy God. You can say, well, I'm going to do lots of good deeds. It cannot change the fact that you've sinned against the holy God. And that penalty must be paid. And so Jesus dies paying that penalty. The just for the unjust for you and me. To pay that penalty. And so he removed that. Why did he do that? That he might bring us to God, reconcile us to God. You see, God is ready for reconciliation on our part, but we have to come to Jesus. We have to place our faith in him as Savior. So he goes on, he says, How did he do this? So being put to death in the flesh, he died that death that human beings die, but made alive by the Spirit. He rose from the dead. And by the way, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, there is no Christianity. We can just set that aside. Paul's very clear. If, if in, in this life only we have hope, we have no hope. Okay? But Jesus is risen. And so we, when we come to understand this in our lives, we understand that we have sinned against a holy God, and we start to see that, and there's no way we can fix it. And our destiny at that point in our lives is an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Torment, terrible place. We don't want to be there. Nobody wants to be there. And so God loved us enough that He sent Jesus to die, to pay that penalty in full. Now, the payment is there. But then the idea is that I, as a human being, have to humble myself before God and say, you know what, God, I do need that. I need that forgiveness. I need a savior because I can't fix this myself. I need you. And by faith, my, I just put my trust in you. I, I trust Jesus as my Savior. And the Bible says at the moment that we do that, his payment for that sin is now put on our account and credited to us. Just like, you know, let me make a little side statement here that has nothing directly to do with the sermon. Be careful what you put on your credit cards this holiday season. Okay? Don't go into a lot of debt, all right? Use them wisely. But the idea, the picture's here, it's like having credit card debt that you could never pay back yourself. And someone says, well, hey, there's a payment available. The payment's made. It's in escrow, it's waiting for you. And then you say, okay, I believe, I trust Jesus. And then that is now, pays your account in full. Paid in full. What kind of relief would that be? What kind of relief is it when we realize that, you know, we were separated from the holy God and and we are in opposition to him and we're headed for hell. And then he, he pays that debt and takes it off of us. Because we believe. And this isn't just a head knowledge. Okay, all right, I'll say I believe. No, it's a from your heart. I'm trusting Jesus. I can't fix this myself. I'm going to trust him. So the good news is that we can be saved. This is what's called the substitutionary atonement. That's your nice religious term for it. In other words, who deserved to die and pay the penalty for my sin? I did. You did. We deserve to pay the penalty for ourselves, don't we? Okay. But we don't have to because Jesus took our place. Okay, Jesus took our place. He was our substitute, and as such he dealt with the problem of our sins. Paid in full. So what an awesome thing it is. But I want you to see something. That part of this, you know, we focus on Jesus died for our sins and he did. But if there is no resurrection from the dead, there is no forgiveness of sins. Because if he's dead, he didn't accomplish anything. He died like all the rest of but that isn't what happened. He rose from the dead and that showed that indeed that God had accepted that payment for our sins and that he was victorious over sin and over death so that we might have life and eternal life, okay? So this is such good news. We can be saved. Good, good news. Let's let's continue. Actually, I need to, to show you a couple verses here. Let's do that. Romans chapter 6 says this. It says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death. We have been united together in the likeness of his death. All right, because when we have this idea that Jesus died for us, right, and the moment that we make that personal choice to, to believe, and receive Christ as Savior. At that moment, every sin is forgiven, right? Paid in full. And um, we receive eternal life, okay? When this life ends, we go on living with the Lord. And then God himself moves in and begins you know, making changes on the inside that are to work their way out into our lives. And so he does that. But then we go ahead and read in, in, in more in the Bible and we discover that something else happens, Go ahead and go to that next verse, if you would. We died with Christ. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Go back one more, if you would, Eduardo. Thank you. Okay. The second half. We have been united together in the likeness of his death. Okay. So something else happens that moment that we receive Christ. He died for our sins, rose again. We believe it. We receive it. The Bible says that we are now united with Jesus. We we are put into Christ and he moves into us. So which is it? Are we in Christ or is he in us? Yes, okay. That's what the truth is. We are united with him. And so that now that we are united with him in, in a very real sense, his death becomes our death to sin. That old nature that we had that was sinful and rebellious against God died with Jesus, okay? And when Jesus rose again, since I'm united with him, what do I get? Like His resurrected life, okay? And so um, this is what happened when Jesus died for us. And we're gonna look at these verses again in a little bit. But so we are united with him. Go ahead and go to that next one, Eduardo. So we died with Christ. And he says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. So we are to believe this, what God has said. He says, by the way, dead people don't sin. You understand what I'm saying? We live this life and we sin. But when we die, we don't sin anymore. Well, the Bible's telling us that deep down inside of us, in our spirit, that spirit part of us, that spirit part of us where we are united with Jesus, that his death became our death. And so what does that mean? Deep down in our spirits. We died to sin. Reckon it to be so. Okay? Now, can I act sinful in my life? Can I act sinful in my life? Yeah. Can I think sinful ways in my life? Yes, but deep down in the core of my being, am I sinning anymore? You guys are going, this is getting kind of heavy. But it's really crucial to start to understand wait a minute, I am in Jesus. And so deep down inside of me, He has changed me, He has moved in. And he has changed what my deepest desires are. And so when I sin now, I am acting contrary to who I really am on the inside. And I think if you're a Christian, you know that. Because when you sin, if you've really trusted Jesus as Savior, you've really done that, and this, this has occurred, these changes have occurred, when you sin, what do you feel like? Frustrated, right? Why am I doing this? This isn't what I want to do. I don't want to be this way. Why is that? Because guess what? Who you are in the core of your being isn't that way anymore. And so we want to learn to live this. And, and Paul in Philippians talks about uh, working this out into our lives. That we begin to live like this has really happened on the outside. Okay, so this union with Christ is crucial. All right. And we've been focusing mostly on his death now, but now let's talk about his life. It says he what? He died and was raised. Okay? The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And so the second thing I want you to consider is that Jesus is alive. Okay? And that our Lord's resurrection marks and governs all that he does. He is always forever a resurrected Savior. Amen. He's risen from the dead. He didn't just go back. You know, we think... Here's a theology lesson for you. The Bible describes God as a Trinitarian being, somehow. That he is one God, he is one being, and yet he exists as three persons. Yet he is one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that he has always been this way. Well, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, came to earth. That's what we're going to be celebrating here as we go into Christmas, right? He comes to earth and and lives his life, and he's the man Jesus. Now he dies for sin. He rises from the dead. It isn't like, okay, body gone, back on. I'm just going to go back and be the son of God in heaven. He is the son of God in heaven, but I want you to know he is forever Jesus, the one who rose from the dead, Okay. And so that resurrection marks everything that he does from this point on. Let's look. In verse 19. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So he goes back and says, something that was happening. We have this timeline here. Something was happening back there in Noah's day. It has to do with the spiritual beings. And, but here's the thing. When Jesus rises from the dead, he now preaches to the spirit world as well. He goes and proclaims to them, here's the way it is. Here's the way it's gone down and here's the way it's going down because he rose from the dead. I have defeated the worst that you wanna do. And I don't, who are these spirits exactly? I don't know. But I want you to see is that the resurrected Jesus is sovereign over every aspect of the spirit world. In fact, in Ephesians chapter three, the Apostle Paul says an amazing thing to me. He says that you and I as the church, the people who Jesus has come to live in individually and together, us as the body of Christ, he says that, that Jesus is pointing out his wisdom, his awesome wisdom to all of the spirit world by telling them, look at the church. Say, wow. Huh. And I look at you and me sometimes, mostly me, I go, hmm. Wisdom? God's wisdom? But he is. And it's messy. It is messy. But he's showing God is doing something through us individually and together that, that show his wisdom to the spirit world. Okay, so his resurrection, you know, is demonstrating to the spirit world that he is overall. He is the one who gets to say the way it's all going down. And that is good news for you and me. All right, and then verse 21, he says, there's also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. And then he makes real clear what he's talking about. He says, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, then through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Let me uh, see if I can flesh this out here for you a little bit. What in the world is an (laughs) antitype? Well, the Bible used the word type to refer to things that are symbols. If we go back into the Old Testament and look under the, the different sacrifices and offerings required by the law, we look at the, what the, the tabernacle and then later the temple was made of and how it was constructed and, and the Holy of Holies and all these things. They are sim, symbols of something. Okay? They are types of something. That word can be used That Well, the anti-type means what it symbolizes. Okay, in other words, here's a symbol. The antitype is what it symbolizes. Okay, so in other words, a symbol shows us something. of It's not the truth, but it what? Shows us the truth, okay? Well, the antitype is that truth. All right, so when he says here, the antitype baptism saves us, does he mean that the symbol saves us? Does he mean that the water saves us? No, he says real clearly, no, it's not the water. It's not about getting your body wet. It's what it means. It's what it symbolizes. Well, what does baptism symbolize? Well, in baptism, and by the way, for you, those of you who've never seen us baptized, right up in that area there, we have a big tank that we fill with water when we baptize people. Okay, Nobody's getting a little sprinkling on their forehead here. I got that when I was a little baby and I don't remember it. And I probably cried about it. But we're talking about this, that that baptism is that picture where we take someone who has believed in Jesus, who's received Christ like we talked about, and we put them under the water and then bring them back up out of the water. Usually we say something like buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in newness of life. OK, but so this is the symbol. But what does it symbolize? It symbolizes Jesus dying for our sins and then being what? Buried. And then on the third day, raised from the dead, the resurrected Jesus. That's what the symbol is. And so Peter here is saying that, that, that what that represents saves us. Right. It's because Jesus died for my sins and then rose three days later. That's how come I can be saved. And so that's what Peter is talking about here. Now, by the way, a little parenthesis here. And we're not going to go through it and show you, but the Bible says, and Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them so when people come to believe you know that day when you said yes i believe that i received jesus my savior i'm putting my faith and trust in jesus savior okay so this is now true for you jesus died for your sins rose again now you're actually united with him that death and that resurrection and now i need to be baptized this is how i show the world this is where i start to show the world that i'm a believer in jesus christ and if you've never done that since you made the decision you should and you may have lots of questions about that, and that's okay. We'd love to talk to you about those things, answer those questions, and help you do what the Lord said you should do. All right. So, but this, again, think baptism also points to his resurrection, doesn't it? In fact, I've kind of joked, aren't we glad that when we're baptizing people that Jesus rose? Yeah. <laughs> if not, buried in the likeness of his death, no but what raised okay and so the baptism shows the resurrection and then then his position in heaven shows the resurrection verse 22 who's gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him again that's that his ruling over the spiritual world because of his resurrection all right chapter 4 therefore since Christ Suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We talked about that a little bit. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Okay, We, when we come to receive Jesus the Savior, we are now alive in Christ. We are alive in him. His life is our life. Talk more about that in a minute. Our lives should be ongoing displays of our resurrection with him. That's what we should be living. We should be living like people who have been raised from the dead. Let's go back and look at those verses in Romans. Put the whole verse there. He says, therefore we were buried with him through baptism unto death. And we settled that, right? That's what's happened to us. By the way. The word baptism here, I should have said this earlier. The word baptism uh, literally means to dip into or to put into, which is one of the reasons when we baptize, we baptize with a full tank of water because we're gonna put you into the water because that best symbolizes the death of Jesus. But so this idea of being put into. So when he says here, we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that word baptism here means being put into Jesus. By the way, This word baptism, English word baptism, interesting word, where we come up with it, it's just a a direct, what they call transliteration from the Greek language, baptizo, baptism in English. Now, baptism means to put into or to dip into, put into. Why did they translate it baptize? You want to know why? It's because this was in the King James in, in England there in the early 1600s. And the king, they were worried about what the king would think. And he had authorized, the King James had authorized this translated scripture, and, but his religion where he was coming from would have included, uh, you know, baptism of babies, sprinkling of babies, pouring, whatever, all that kind of stuff. And they're thinking, oh no, he'll shut us down if we translate it that way. What can we do? Aha, let's just rewrite that Greek word in English, baptize. And then people, when they look it up, find out what it really means. But anyway, so the idea, that's, that's free, that's nothing, there's no charge for that information. And, uh, but so he says the idea is we were put into his death. That's what we were talking about earlier, right? We were immune in him, we were placed into his death buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So not only were we put into his death, we are also put into his resurrection. Let's go to the next verse there. For if we have been united, there's this word, for if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be, and we could put the word, united in the likeness of his resurrection. His resurrection life becomes our life. Go to the next one. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. One more. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto and sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. We can be saved because Jesus is alive in us. And we are alive in him. It is his life that we have. I have no life but his now. If you've received Jesus, you have no life but his now. His life is your life and your life is his life because you are what? United. And so inside here, in our spirit, we are raised from the dead. Now, we we are people, we have a spirit. Paul talks about having a spirit and a soul and a body. We have a spirit. That's that core of our being. That's where we can either be separated from God or connected with God and have a personal relationship with him. And then there is our soul. And this is like our mind and our will and our emotions, maybe our personality. We have that. And then we have our bodies. Okay? The moment you receive Jesus, Savior, deep down in your spirit, holy, righteous, pure, loving, like Jesus, always and forever, you will be. You have ceased from sin here. But guess what? Does that mean that your mind is f- completely fixed? Oh, no. Your brain, your mind working together. Oh, no. You believe a lot of things that aren't true. You believe a lot of things that are, you kind of twist. There's things that you don't know. And so in your soul, you are still a work in progress. And what are you trying to do with your soul? To become what? We grow to be... Like the Lord, we're seeking to grow, to be more like Jesus in there, to think more like Jesus, to act more like Jesus, to love more like Jesus, on the list goes. And what are we trying to do with our bodies? This is how we interact with the world around us and we're trying to bring this reality of who I am in Christ now, affecting my thinking out into the world, to the world around us. See, that's what this body's for. But guess what the body is still subject to sin isn't it anybody eat more than you should have on Thanksgiving and why did you do that because you said well this is the most logical and healthy thing I can do with my life no it was just you had a desire right and, and you ate it um, and so our bodies will be changed so here's what's happening in our spirit we are absolutely resurrected with Jesus and in our souls, we are beginning to understand what that means and, and making decisions to, to agree with that and to live that. And How do we know what that is? We're, we look to the word, right, to see what those truths are. And so we're making these decisions and, and, and hopefully growing more and more, uh, you know, have the mind of Christ and how we approach life, okay? And the body, we're just using to service, us. but what's gonna happen? Someday we will actually die physically unless Jesus comes back for us first, and whatever's going on in our soul will be completed. And our bodies will be changed to be like his. And this is called absolute freedom from sin. Oh, won't that be good news? No more of that frustration where I sin and say, what am I doing? Because it isn't who I really am no more. I'll be who I was made to be by Jesus, and so will you. So, um, quick review here. We can be saved. Such good news, right? Jesus is alive, and we are alive in Christ. So here's what I want to uh, finish up on here. You need to begin living like you're already risen from the dead. Hmm, what does that mean? Well, I think it means a couple of things at least. Uh, I'm sure the ramifications are many. But a couple of real key things. I tell you, we begin living like you're actually resurrected, from risen from the dead, right? We want this to work out into our lives. How, how would a person who's risen from the dead live? Well, I got to go think back and go to Lazarus. You remember Lazarus, the story of Lazarus? He dies and Jesus isn't there. And Jesus comes a few days later and he calls Lazarus out of the grave. Come forth, Lazarus. And Lazarus rises from the dead and comes out. How do you think Lazarus lived his life? How could I can get back to my party in? I don't think so. That'd be pretty overwhelming, wouldn't it? Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? I, I realize I wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for you. In, in Colossians, Paul says these words. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, and if we receive Christ, is then what's the answer? If you were, yeah, we were. If we've been saved, we've been raised with Christ. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, read those next four words with me, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, that moment that we receive Christ, we were raised. We received his resurrected life. His life is now our life. Our life is now his life. It's it's a resurrected life deep within us. Okay, now in my soul, I need to set my mind on things above. I need to seek those things which are above heavenly things, not earthly things. Earthly priorities are no longer what's most important. Not that they don't matter, but they come underneath heavenly priorities. If I'm really risen from the dead, I need to live with heavenly priorities, with heavenly affections, heavenly choices. Okay, not on things. And and because what we have to remember is this. No, go back quick. There you go. When Christ, who is our life, appears. And so we're talking about begin living like you're already risen from the dead. You need to be acknowledging that, wait a minute, Christ is my life. I shouldn't be out here living like I have some kind of life separate from Jesus. I don't. This is why Paul, when he's talking about morality, says, don't you understand? He says that if you commit sexual immorality, that you're committing that with Jesus there. I mean, so I shouldn't be living a separate life somehow. I need to live my life with him. Okay, because he is my life. And I, so I need to just try to become more conscious of this. You know, more and more conscious of it. More and more making decisions to try to live that out in some practical way okay again heavenly priorities so my life is Jesus life, Jesus life is my life I need to live this life not for him you can go tell my pastor said this week that I shouldn't live for Jesus (laughs) then explain the context I should live my life with jesus because he is my life i have nothing else that i should be doing you go to work tomorrow you ought to be going to work tomorrow because that's what jesus and you are doing that's what he's got you doing you see what i'm saying whatever it is you're having a conversation with somebody it's you and jesus having a conversation with that person you need to think that way and be yielding to that along the way it's going to change so many things in your life the more conscious, and the aware you become the fact that you are, have been united with Jesus and you are you have a resurrected life in you. And so then in Romans chapter 10 and the, the reference here is wrong. This is Romans uh, chapter 6 in verse 13. It says present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And so on some sort of regular basis you need to Okay, Lord, I am yours. You have saved me. You have raised me. You've given me your life. Here I am. We should redo really that every day, shouldn't we, in some way? Yep. Do it every week when you come to worship. Maybe at key points during the year, or holidays, or whatever, something. Lord, here I am. You raised me to life. Here I am. You know, I want to live that way. And I wish I'd just give you some nice long list. Here's the list. Here's the check boxes. No, we're talking about growing in a relationship with Jesus in such a way that more and more, we are aware that it's his life in us. And we're living accordingly. And it starts, like we talked earlier, if you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, that's where it starts. That's where it starts. And so if you haven't done that, please just, say to God, oh God, that's me. I've sinned against you. I, I know and I'm separate from you. I, I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again from the dead. I receive him as Savior. Just settle that in your heart and mind. And then these things will all be true of you as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you show us these things that we need to understand and live by. Pray that you'll keep teaching us day in and day out. and More importantly, probably, Father, I know you will do that, that we will be open to that. We'll be mindful of it. We will lean into you as you lead us and teach us and as you use all of our lives. I pray, Lord, each new situation in life that we would, we would draw near to you and say, okay, God, I, here I am. I'm alive from the dead by your work. What do I do now? How do I live that out in this situation? Good, bad, bad hard, easy. Please, Father, help us to live individually and together as people who are indeed alive from the dead, knowing that one day you're going to finish that work in us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.